let's go, Porch. Let's do this. Y'all ready? Let's go. Let's go. We are here to have a good time. And we just want to go ahead and start off by, like we always do, welcoming our Porch Live locations. I'm going to let each of these guys welcome a Porch Live location and make sure that we show them some love in the room after each one. So, David. Welcome, Houston, Texas. Let's go, Astros. Porch Live Houston, welcome. All of you self-righteous people about them being cheaters. Like, you've never done anything wrong in your life. (laughs) Wow. I was going to not be as excited as that. You don't have to be. Be you. Okay. Austin, we love you. We're really glad you're here. Austin. Let's go, Phoenix and Boise. Let's go, Potato. Yeah. Phoenix and Boise. (laughs) And as always, our friends in the room, we're so glad you're here. And like I said earlier, we are wrapping up the We're All Freaking Out series on mental health, anxiety, stress, worry, all the things. And so um, we did this at Awaken, just like this, pretty much. And it was, I mean, everyone loved it. So, you know. We're diving in. We're keep, back. You better keep making them happy. I think just you lo- loved it. I loved it. I'm like, let's do it again. At least you guys loved it. Together. Yeah, they're all like, who, what, Awaken? Yeah. And so, okay, well, first off, um, I know that you have all lived in Dallas at one point. The only one who doesn't. JP, you're down in Waco, Texas now, mm. serving at Harris Creek. And, um, but you have lived in Dallas, obviously. True. What is one restaurant, if y'all only got to eat at one oh, more wow. restaurant in Dallas, Texas, what would it be? Um, fuzzies. I got mine. fuzzies down here? Yeah. <laughs> you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? Yeah, no, if I could only choose one, uh, I would choose Macero, Miko, uh, Matitos, <laughs> And Velvet Taco and okay, got it, got it. Mexican food. Math has never been his thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I can. I never get tired of Ho- tired of Jose's. Have y'all ever been there? Mm. Oh, yeah. 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 the patio yeah. on mm-hmm. a fall day. Zach, Zach introduced me. To that. I know. We introduce everyone to it. If you go out to eat with us, we'll probably take you to. We Jose. are Mexican Jose's. love. I would say Miko Cena. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Miko Cena. Okay. Miko. And then let's go a little more on the spiritual side, and then we'll dive into the questions on mental health. Uh, what is, what, I'll ask this, what book of the Bible are you reading right now? And give us kind of like, what are you learning in it? Are you reading the Bible? <laughs> no, no, you I read, actually yeah. stopped. Do you read the Bible? A, I actually stopped. He's, a, he's in the Quran. <laughs> I, uh, it's, writings it's of, great, man. It's got some writings really. Writings of Joseph Smith, he loves them. <laughs> some, there's some powerful nuggets in there for sure. Uh, today, this morning, I read through Mark chapter four, and, um, and actually, I'll share this here in a second, but it was, was camping out in Mark chapter 4. And what did you learn? Oh, you'll share it later? Yeah, yeah. I think okay, it's a foreshadowing of what's to come. Jenny? So I'm actually listening to Galatians this week mm. in, on Dwell app, and I love listening to books that I know pretty well because you hear it, and I listen in accents that are really interesting, and they read it differently. Oh. And what so accent what are heard, you on right yeah. now? Well, it's Felix, if you know Dwell App, and he reads it like real African. It's awesome. Oh. And he just, I love him. He's real passionate. And so he is reading it to me, and I heard in Galatians his passion make very clear that we cannot go after any other gospel, that there is no other gospel that we can live out, and so let's be sure we're living the true gospel. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm reading the Psalms in the morning, but where I'm camping out is in Ecclesiastes. We're going through that. And I think this past week has kind of stayed with me for a number of reasons, but it's just like learn from your pain before you leave it, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Mm. And so that God, and that's so relevant to what I think where we're going tonight. Mm-hmm. 
which is just like God wants to teach us something in pain. Yeah. And that pain is, is some of the greatest, pain is one of the greatest teachers under the sun. And so on this earth, it's something that he allows to happen so that we can grow Man. and be sanctified. That's good. Well, I just want to kind of dive into this conversation. And I'm so glad. Thank you all for making time. I know that traveling and all of that is crazy, especially in the middle of the week. And I think that this is a conversation that the church needs to be having more uh, because people are having it. Yeah. And they're looking for a place to look for answers. And I hope that it's always the church. I hope that the church can become more and more of a safe place for people to be honest with what they're feeling, experiencing, and to be met with love and truth. And so I hope that tonight is a really helpful resource in this conversation. And so just starting off, because anxiety, mental health, all of these things seem to be plaguing the world and everyone kind of is talking about it, but it's, it is kind of this like lofty idea that people don't really know how to articulate. Uh, before we try to talk about anxiety itself, where do, you, where do y'all feel like, and anyone can answer, we can go each of you, where do y'all feel like it is stemming from? Like what are the leading causes today of anxiety, depression, stress, worry, all those things? Well, we live in a very disconnected world. We are facing more than ever uh, epidemic of loneliness, uh, of course, social media. I mean, there's so many right answers, but I'm gonna actually go to a way deeper place and say it's definitely strategic, that the enemy, I believe, has spiritual assignment. I mean, I'm gonna get, you said push the envelope before we came out here. Push y'all. it, push I'm it, like, push okay, it. let's go, let's go. <laughs> so I think the enemy is very strategic. You see Jesus talk about the enemy. He calls him a liar. And a liar, is a, especially if he's a good liar, then he's thinking very hard about how he lies and how he does it. And so what you've got is you've got a demonic force. Sorry if you're new here and, and overwhelmed by this, but there's a demonic force working against us. I think it's an important thing to know as a Christian. In fact, I'll start with Ephesians. Sorry if you wanted to start lighter than that, no, but Ephesians let's go. Too. You let's ask, go. I figure this is, a, this is a much- um, Dive right into the demons. Let's yeah. go to the demons, all right. <laughs> because if we don't start here, I think we're kind of missing, we're, we're really talking about the things the demons are using, right? Like this is a plan. You wanna know when everybody in the world is feeling something at the same time, do you think that's an accident? Like the whole world is collectively anxious. And scripture says, we be, um, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, that he has schemes that are coming for you. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic forces over this present darkness. And I know that feels like an intense way to start, but if there are cosmic forces coming for us, I think we don't have another place we can start. Because there is cosmic forces coming for us and there is a devil that is scheming how to take us out. And when you see everyone you know, when I have elementary age kids that are shut down and cannot attend school because of anxiety, we have a massive problem. There is something happening in the world right now that is so thick and that is so um, strategic that I think we've got to realize that he's using all these different things, and it's true. We are disconnected, we are on our screens, we are you know, in a world where we know the problems of the entire planet, and that's all troubling. But ultimately, what the enemy wants is to shut down the church. And he's doing a really good job, I would say. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I would just add quickly, if I can, that, and I've said this, I mean, just this idea that selfishness is satanic. 
And so when we get so focused on ourselves and we try to be God and we want glory, like we weren't made to be worshiped. Like we have to offload that onto the sturdy shelf of Jesus Christ. It will collapse us if we try to be at the center of our world. And so with the enemy, the enemy doesn't need you to worship him. Like there's probably not a lot of Satan worshipers here tonight. Uh, like you, you're probably not going to go home and like crack open the Ouija board and do, do the seance Maybe. thing. But if, if you will worship, I was, I'm like, okay, JD. Uh, but, but if he can get you just to focus on you, like the opposite of loving God is not loving Satan, it's loving self. And, and putting yourself, or worshiping self rather. The opposite of worshiping God is worshiping self. That's why he said, just to piggyback on what she said, 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish all arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And right before that, it's talking about demonic strongholds. Yeah. And so the enemy is going to try to distract you with you. When you start thinking about you a lot, that is the beginning of the spiral mm. to despair. That's good. I, I don't think I'd add any. I think we are, to her point, or one of them mentioned, we're connected in all the ways that produce anxiety and disconnected in so many ways that prevent anxiety. And so we're not connected in terms of relationally to others that authentically walk alongside where we can talk about the ways that we're struggling. The same problem is always causing anxiety, facing uncertainty and sitting in the place of God. And so... Having other people that are connected to us deeply, relationally, not on a screen, but connected in life is one of the ways that we prevent anxiety and being connected to all of the different alerts, problems, challenges, comparisons through digital connections produce anxiety. So we've got really in two different directions something happening where we're doing things that produce it and not doing the things that prevent it. Mm -hmm. You are such teachers because you pretty much just said three points, and it was Satan, self, and social media. Oh, no. Oh, you're the teacher. The <laughs> you're the teacher. Um, but, okay, so, JP, I'm going to ask you this, because I think I've seen you talk about this on Instagram. There's this quote that I've heard a lot around here and then in different spaces that say, says, feelings are real but not reliable. And I think that sometimes I struggle with, that quote, yeah. I'll be honest. Um, yeah. I get the heart of it, but feelings are God-given. Emotions sure. are God-given, and they are such a gift. Yeah. And I think sometimes it can sound like feelings and emotions aren't safe at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm, <laughs> yeah, she's like, let me finish. Okay, so <laughs> I, what I wanna know is um, the Bible also says, do not listen to your heart. Yeah. Um, it's wicked, it's deceitful above all else, who can know its ways. And so how do we, as young adults, who are very much led by feelings, led by emotions, and we have been told that that yeah. could potentially cause the anxiety, how do we embrace the God-given gift of feelings and emotions, but also not let them be our God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I first heard that, that quote from Todd Wagner, and then I heard it over time improve to say feelings are are real but not always reliable. Mm. Because sometimes they're very reliable. When you touch the hot stove and it says that's hot, that feels hot, you know, wow, it hurts. <laughs> and and that's, that's a reliable feeling. Uh, one time just south of here, so in Preston Hollow, I was driving around and I was in, in the midst of the roads where they're not really a grid, they're kind of windy. And I got really turned around and I was just, I'm like, I'm like a mile from here but I'm lost <laughs> and I'm trying to get back to Watermark. And I and I'm live here, right, at the time, and I've lived here for 20 years, and I can't find my way out 
of Preston Hollow. And, I, and everything in me says, I feel like Watermark is that way. And so I just start driving and, and eventually as I'm driving, I'm looking for Watermark and I'm looking for this medical tower over here. I eventually see taller buildings, which are downtown. And I'm like, how did I get downtown? And so, yeah, I know y'all are pointing at people. You do that. And, uh, and, and so what I did is I pulled out my, my GPS, uh, you know, iMaps, Google Maps, right? And I put in the address and I just trusted it. And so you need to know there's going to be times where you feel deeply like he's the one, she's the one, you should do this, you should work there, you should drink that, or you should take your life, you should cut yourself, you should end it all, you should despair, you should stay in bed. And in those moments, I would just encourage you to turn to your GPS. And here it is, I'm gonna give it to you, write it down, ready? Ready? Gather your group, that's, that's believers. My, my friend Jenny Allen has an amazing book coming out in February called Find Your People. That's what I'm saying, gather your group. Not one person, not your wise uncle, followers of Jesus in your life, okay? So gather your group, persist in prayer. And so begin to pray, Lord, I don't know where I'm going, would you speak through them? Would you, would you show me, would your Holy Spirit whisper to me the voice behind me, whether to turn right or left? And, and search the scriptures. Is there a, a verse that, like, if I believe I should end it or I should stay in bed, but there's a verse that tells me something else, then I'm going to trust this over my feelings, right? I want to conform my feelings to what this says. So gather your group, persist in prayer, search the scriptures. That's your GPS. When you don't know where to go, you, you turn there. Say, all right, I need to get my people in a room. I need to ask God to speak through them before, during, and after, and I need to ask them, is there any scriptures that align with the counsel that you're giving me? And, and so when that aligns, when your GPS aligns with how you feel, trust it. When it doesn't, don't. Your, your heart is wicked and deceitful and beyond cure, but the Holy Spirit gives you a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone, but the problem is your degenerate heart under the sun in this world, detached from God, is kind of always there. You can trust your new heart, but you can't trust your old heart. And that's why you have to have people in your life who will help you. Mm. That's good stuff. Jenny? I, I canoe and... <laughs> nice. Or do that. Just could, I mean, thank you for your honesty. Who gets lost on a canoe? <laughs> and she uses a GPS I when do. she canoes. I see. Okay. I canoe. And my husband would laugh because I'm not very good at it, but I do do it. Like, I figure I, you can where, say that. Where? Where do you canoe? How can you be I'm bad at canoeing? You, I'm going to tell you because it's very... Does anyone know that you can be bad at canoeing? I, I am a terrible canoeer. We're going we're gonna to make a support group for all you bad canoers so, out there. So I am a bad canoer, but I, I do canoe. And, <laughs> and it is a funny word, it you is. know. Um, but what I would say about that is when I'm on the river and I'm canoeing, I own canoes. I need to, I need to really brag that I really do canoe. Like that's something hey, I we do. We got that part. Yep. She canoes. <laughs> she has those shirts. I canoe. <laughs> You know, I felt like I was saying something that no, wasn't true. Don't. Okay, like I own a canoe. Okay. She got the canoe. She has a canoe. Okay. <laughs> okay. So when we canoe, we go down the river, and I am horrible at it, and they don't want me in the back, and they don't want me in the front, which means you're in the middle because that's the people that don't paddle. And so, um, so do anyway. You canoe? I don't think you do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so when we're on the river, 
there are, there are two options. There's two shores and you don't wanna hit them. You wanna go down the river, okay? Again, obvious. So when you're doing this, what, what I would say is that every single one of us, what I learned in adoption therapy before we adopted was everybody has a window of tolerance. And the window of tolerance is just like that river, that you are going down the river, you want to go down the river smoothly, safely. But the reality is there's two shores. On one side of the river, you have the shore of coping, checking out, um, stuffing your feelings, pretending it's not happening. On the other side, you have chaos, anger, frustration, panic attacks, losing your mind, you know, whatever. So you've got these two sides of the river. Well, all of us have a certain window of tolerance. Nobody has an infinite window of tolerance. There are always shores to the ability of things we can, we can actually process and handle. The more trauma, I'm just getting really technical here, but the more trauma you've been through, the smaller that river is, the smaller and tighter it is. So if you've been through a lot, which let's be real, all of our windows of tolerance just shrunk. We have collectively been through a lot. So the river is really is really tight. And if you're not a good canoeer, like I can't figure it out. There are, I actually go the fastest and the best if I just don't paddle, like nobody paddles. We just ride the river. And I would say this actually very much applies because that is largely how we are supposed to go through this, is there is a sense of we really can't control our lives and we really can't control the world and so we are all freaking out, we are. And so when we're all freaking out, there's this sense of what do we do? And so we put our oar in, and if you're like me, you hit a shore just because for some reason, every time my oar goes in, I go to the right or I go to the left, and I'm trying to control it, and I'm trying to make it work. And the harder I paddle, the more I go to the right and left. Good for you that are good at canoeing, but I'm not. And so when I do it, when I try to get involved overly in my life and try to control this thing, I'm going to the right or to the left. And what I would say is that there is a moment right now where we all have kind of put in our paddles and we're like, Lord, we need you. Like, you're just going to have to help us get down this river. And what's cool is if you go on a good river, there is a current and it will carry you. And, and I would say for all of us that are, that are spinning right now, I mean, the, the reality is you are, and I wanna say this as, as gently and kindly as I can. I am so sorry. I am so sorry, and you are not alone. You are not the only one that is feeling like it is absolute chaos. Some of you have had a panic attack today. Some of you have, have hit a shore in the last two hours. Like you were, you were outside paralyzed before you came in. And I just wanna say, humanly speaking, we all have a certain amount that we can handle. And so do not be overly discouraged if you feel like, gosh, I keep hitting a shore. How you grow that window of tolerance, how you expand it and, and cause it to be larger, so I've learned, it's just impossible thing that you have to do, is you have to be honest. <laughs> you have to say out loud how hard this is. And for girls, some of you are, are better at it. I'm not very good at it, it's very hard for me. For guys, you're probably not as comfortable doing it but what therapy has taught me is there is power in saying it out loud to people that nod. I call it the universal head nod. When you say something that everybody else feels and, and everybody kind of sits across from you and just does this, because all of a sudden what happens? You know you're not alone. You know you're not alone. And I think, you know, I mean, I would just be curious, like how many people in here, there's a lot of people in here, have struggled with anxiety in the last year? And I want you to leave your hand up just for a minute. 
And I want you to feel the power of presence and the power of not being alone <laughs> and how silly we are to not share that. Okay, we can put it down. How silly we are to not share it because we are in such good company. And I think most of us do. I don't know. Do you feel like people share it? Do you feel like people are honest about it? No. I mean, it's not a long answer, but no. no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think most people have relationships with people around them where they are willing to open up and share, which is why we hit on community so much here, that one of the key vehicles for transformation, for widening that tolerance zone is authentic relationships. We just weren't made to live this life alone. I also think that people don't think that people care enough. Like they think, I, what do you care what I'm dealing with inside of here? Which is sad, but I think that's a cool thing. Can we ask the audience? Sure. Like yeah. why, why is it hard to share? I think it's, it would be great to hear from you guys. Pride. Pride. Shame. Vulnerable. vulnerable. People leave. Feeling like a burden. Feel different. You know what's funny? None of those have in common things that are of the Spirit of God. Mm. And, uh, and I don't say that to shame anyone, but shame, pride, uh, which, fear, um, none of those have in common the Spirit of God. You know, my wife is a counselor, and studies even show one of the reasons therapy is even helpful for people is just talking about it does diminish those feelings of anxiety. It kind of gets it out from this vague feeling of fear and worry and anxiety, and it puts it out on the table. And so sometimes one of the healthiest things you can do is just try to articulate it. Because sometimes we get stuck because I don't even know yeah. what I'm feeling. Yeah. And just That's try cool. to put words around it and, and articulate it. And when you do, especially with trusted other believers, you'll begin to experience more peace, some a sense of deeper freedom. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about this specifically, where's the next question? Personally, um, I know that all three of you have talked about struggling with anxiety um, or depression, panic, worry, stress in some way. Um, and just let us in, maybe one or two of you, let us into whether it was a season, something current, and how do you either fight it or how did you get out of that season? Uh, what does it look like for you personally? I know you just said bring people in, but practically, more practical. Yes, say it out loud. I think is, you know, it, I went through this season where I, was, I would have a panic attack even around speaking. And this is my job. And so it feels like, like my livelihood is, is going out the window in this thing that God called me to do. And when I talked to an expert, you know, who was an expert, he just said, you should just tell them that. Yeah. Like, you should just say that. And so I, I, um, I learned about something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which if you go to someone to treat anxiety, they're, they're going, you're going to, there's two roads. There's, there's medicine and there's therapy, and medicine works really well for some people, and therapy works really well for some people. And so I, I was in the therapy camp. That, that was very helpful to me. And it was interesting what this, this uh, therapist prescribed to me was, he, and he wasn't a Christian, which, you know, I, I, that, that's just where I was that day. You know, the, the life raft was this guy who wasn't a Christian, but he knew that I very much was, and, uh, or I am, and, um, and he's still a Christian. And <laughs> it's good news, it's good news. 
And he was just like, hey, just, you, you, should, you should meditate. You should dwell on a thought. You should focus deep into it. He's like, you know, you know what you do. I think you call it prayer. And I was like, that's so fascinating that what this guy, the, the latest, greatest start of the state of the art treatment was really something David did 3,000 years ago. God prescribed 4,000 years ago, right? I meditate on your law day and night. It is like honey. And, and just if you think about Paul in the New Testament, in, in Philippians 4, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I heard David teach this even recently. He's not saying don't be anxious, because that's not helpful. He's saying don't be anxious without prayer. And if you think about what he's saying, he's saying do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, which is prayer, and petition, which is prayer, with thanksgiving, which is prayer. He, he says, don't be anxious, but pray, pray, pray. And we think, oh man, like, yeah, you know, preacher man, you're supposed to say that, like band-aid on my wound. And it's like, but no, no, like deep contemplative prayer actually heals, both because God responds to prayer, but also we were made for prayer. And like, we, right now, we don't have time for prayer. This thing is the enemy of prayer. Like it hates prayer. Satan is using this to destroy your prayer life. Like, like I don't know how many, like how many of you, by show of hands, like prayed for more than 30 minutes straight today. Like you sat there for 30 minutes and you prayed, right? Way less hands. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Like lots of us were anxious in the past year but very few of us prayed for longer than 30 minutes. And again, I'm not saying this to shame you, but to help you. I think there is a solution. Like nobody here is going to pray for, for 30 minutes straight and be a worse person. <laughs> like it's only going to be helpful. And then he goes on in verse 8 and says, think about whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is admirable or lovely, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. He's saying, again, he is prescribing in the New Testament cognitive behavioral therapy. It's the same thing that I paid $250 an hour to be prescribed to me, and it's not a platitude or, or cliche, and, and you may need medicine. Like, like some of you are on medicine, you may need medicine, that, that's, that's awesome. That can be a really helpful tool to get you to a place where you can then pray with a clear mind. Um, but but n all of us should practice long extended contemplative prayer. That's good. So I'll share about what I'm going through right now just because I think maybe it could encourage you. So I, I came back from a little short sabbatical this summer, and, and I'd done that because I had hit burnout last year in a way that scared me. And so I took this break, I came back, and I had so much anxiety that it was physical again. And I'd had that years ago, but I hadn't had it in a while. And it hit me in a way that I was having a, um, such a physical reaction that I knew I needed help. And so I started going to um, group therapy, which I think is helpful. I know we're talking a lot about therapy, but you know what? We talk a lot about the Bible here. And I think church is a good place to talk about what it looks like to apply the Bible. 
And so when we're talking about these conversations, I wanna be really clear. Therapy is not an answer, it is not a fix all. It only, my husband always says it only works if it works. But what it does is it, for me, it has helped me take what I believe into my life and into my living and into my soul where, where I am not as scared. Because what I learned in group therapy this year was that largely my 12-year-old self is scared of things. That, and I know this sounds crazy to some of you unless you've done therapy and you're like, no, it's true. It, it's really happening. And I say that because I think it's important that we realize that we are a sum of our parts, that there's not some individual place in our lives where we can just decide in our thinking and read a verse and put it on our mind and all of a sudden we're healed and we, we should no longer be anxious. We live in such under such shame and condemnation that we're anxious that we can't ever actually get to the root of why we are anxious. There's a voice in our head that's telling us, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. And then there's another voice that's judging the voice that's telling us we're scared. Mm. And that voice is the one that's actually wearing you out. The other voice of saying I'm scared, prior to 12, I used to say that. I used to say, I'm scared, mom, help. But at 12, I learned that there were certain things expected of me and I had to you know, measure up and I needed to meet the expectations in the room and they were never gonna be spoken, but, but I would need to know what they were and then I would need to meet them. And some of them were impossible to meet, but I would still need to meet them. And so this voice started in me at 12 years old that, that was, I'm scared and don't say it. In fact, don't be scared and, and meet all these expectations. And so what that does to someone over time is rather than just saying, you know what, and this is what I wanna be sure we're really good at as believers, which a lot of us are. We need to be honest about what's going on. And the reason we need to be honest about what's going on is because confession is not just about sin. What, to confess means to be truthful to tell the truth, to confess what is true. We have to say what is true or we're gonna stay stuck for a long, long time. The freest people I know are the ones that admit that they're <clears throat> stuck and they need help. And you go to Regen, oh my goodness, those stories, they get up there, they share what's going on in their life. And I wanna be that way, but honestly, even just this year, I've had to practice being that way. So last night, we'll be real current, I'm in, a small group with my friends and I'm learning like, when you don't wanna say something, say that thing. Mm -hmm. And so everybody's gone around in their small group and said the thing and it's my turn and I have something that is just boiling up inside of me. And I'm like, I need to go to bed, it's 10.15, we need to be done. And then I knew, like, I'm supposed to say the thing I'm not supposed to say and I, I cried pretty hard and I shared what I was stressed about and what I was feeling. And I got texts, my phone is probably blowing up right now, still from them, because they began to fight for me and they began to say, hey, no, you're not gonna go down like this. Let us tell you how we're going to support you and be around you and walk through this with you. There is power in saying it out loud. There are so many reasons to say it out loud because one, I got it off my chest like David talked about. Two, I had an army come around me and be praying for me and helping me in the last 24 hours. And three, I said what was true so that perhaps I could begin to deal with it. Mm -hmm. It's a beginning place, it's not the end place. But I'm very worried about what I just heard of how many people aren't quick to say that they're struggling. And what I wanna be clear about too is, is we don't say it so we can stay there, we say it so that we can get free. That's right, that's right. Yep. It's not something that we need to find our identity in and forever be defined as I'm someone who has anxiety. We are all people that have anxiety. We all are. And so what we also are, are people that are filled with the Spirit of God and more than conquerors 
and able to, to fight this together, never alone. I don't know anybody that's gotten very free alone. That's good. Yeah, um, I think on the note of the importance of having people in your life to challenge, encourage, come alongside, um, there was a story a friend of mine told me that um, was a fascinating, engaging story. It was a time he went to Six Flags, and they have this huge, I think they used to have it, I don't know if they have it anymore, where you could go up and you could see the city. It's like yeah. a huge elevator, mm-hmm. you go up and you see the city. And he said he went up with his group, and it stopped at the top, and it got stuck. And it was stuck for five hours. Oh, and, very anxious listening. Yeah, and they're stuck in this glass box, hundreds of feet up in the air. And they tried to get it down, they tried to get it down, they've got workers kind of coming up all around them. And eventually, and there's kids, I mean, it's Six Flags, so it's like families, kids, people all in this little box. He said the kids were like doing totally fine, it was the adults who were freaking out. And he said, eventually, they opened the ceiling, and this uh, rope ladder was thrown down. No. No. And each one of them had to climb up and walk down the catwalk all the way down, hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air. And he said, afterwards, there were phobias that developed with other people. And we were talking about just that, that topic of fear and kind of these more acute, focused fears and how do you fight them. And, um, and I was just asking him, because uh, he had... He, uh, he was a DTS professor, had a counseling. And I was saying, so in that moment, how would you encourage somebody? Like, just hold on to, hey, I'll never leave you, don't forsake you. Don't? And he said, no, that's, that's all cerebral. You can tell them that verse, but until they have, they have an associated negative emotional attachment to heights now. And they have to replace that associated emotional attachment from a negative one and replace it with a positive one. And one of the ways that they do that is by having relationships, friends that encourage them and help them take those steps. So in other words, phobias from elevators developed as a result of that, and they had to have people come alongside of them and not just say, hey, get on the elevator, it's gonna be fine. That works for some people, it doesn't work for everybody. But to have people that go, hey, we're gonna take a step, we're just gonna step on the elevator. We're gonna take a step, we're gonna step back off the elevator, and we'll just let it go. Then we're gonna take another step, and I'm gonna be right here with you, we're gonna go, and we're gonna, I'm gonna not just allow you to sit in that phobia, I'm gonna help you and come alongside. Now what's that have to do with, you know, most of us don't have fears of phobias of elevators. But we do have trust issues from past relationships. We do have issues where we don't, uh, we have traumatic experiences with a family member or a father or, or maybe yeah. your parents fell apart and having other people in your life that encourage, that come alongside, that tell you it's true, but they also are gonna encourage you to take that next step. Mm-hmm. Hey, not every guy is like that. Not every marriage ends that way. And I'm gonna call you forward to be who God is calling you to be, to be who you ultimately want to be and that encourage you and spur you on and walk alongside and bear, Galatians 6 says, one another's burdens together. So that's a long answer from all of us. But. <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff. I think, um, yeah, if we're going to clap, let's clap. Let's sit. Y'all, y'all all have talked a lot about the power of community and people. And if I had to bet, there's someone here right now who's feeling super alone. Yeah. Um, they, they have tried or they've been hurt and, um, or they just can't seem to like keep friendships or make friends. Um, and I think that a lot of people, they could have a lot of friends and still feel alone. Mm. So people that struggle immensely with loneliness, uh, what would you say to them? With what you're saying, the answer is community, 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 but they're like, no, I'm, I, you don't know my circumstance, I'm super alone. I don't have community. And you just wrote a book on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, you're not alone that you feel alone. Yeah. I think the numbers are astounding with that as well. We've got 
prior to COVID, three in five people said that they feel lonely. So we've got, you know, probably, I would say four and a half after, four and a half out of five that feel lonely post-COVID. And so I think you're not alone in feeling alone. And what's comforting about that is that probably other people need you and, and need the same things. And, and so I think, you know, one of the best things I've ever heard about being a good friend or being a connected human that can help someone else heal is to help people feel seen, safe, and soothed. And I say those three words, and I've talked about this, I think I talked about it maybe even at Awaken, but seen, safe, and soothed, those three words were so helpful to me because sometimes I'm the bad friend, right? It's not just that my needs aren't getting met with a friend, it's that when someone shares me, I wanna share something with me, and they share, hey, I'm anxious, I wanna fix it. I wanna help them fix it. I wanna solve the problem because I don't like negative emotions, and I'm gonna fix your problem so we can move forward. And has that ever felt really good to people? Like that's never felt good to me. I don't know why I do that to people, but I do. And what those words gave me was a plan. So when someone is sharing something difficult with you, which I think you all should do tonight, I really do. It's really gonna be fun. You're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna find somebody and you're gonna share your anxious thoughts and it's going to be fun because here's the thing, just like last night was for me with tears, it actually, I felt seen, I felt safe, and I felt soothed with those friends and there was something healing about it. And, and I will say, it is not easy to do. I was so uncomfortable. I mean, my, my hands were sweating when I shared. I started bawling. I, I rambled. I, I did all the things. It was awkward. But I think being awkward to be whole and healthy is very worth it. Mm. And so what I would say is, is practice this together. And if you're good at this, I absolutely promise you, you will have friends. If you make people feel seen, safe, and soothed, you will have more friends than you know what to do with because nobody makes other people feel that way. If you listen, and you don't judge, and you don't fix, yeah. and you comfort them, and you nod, and you care, yeah. and you say, I'm so sorry, and that must have been so hard. Yeah. And then before you launch into a sermon, stop yourself. Yeah. You will have more friends than you know what to do with. Yeah. I, I, I know we're um, running long, so I'm going to try to say this really quick. And, and I have to say this because I'm big on community. If you don't have community, you need community. But I want to say something else on this topic of, of aloneness or, or loneliness is a, a huge benefit of Christianity is there's this repeated line in Scripture over and over. When God says something once, it's important. He says it twice, it's really important. If he says it like 17 times, you need to really listen. And he says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And there may be a day where you are all alone. Like there may, I mean truly, there might be a day where I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the future holds. But you're not because the benefit of Christianity is that you're with God. And so maybe you're at this place where you, where you really are thinking about ending it or, or doing something drastic. I, I want you to know that, that God sees you. He loves you and he has a plan for you. And that's not platitudes. I, I mean, it. he's crazy about you, not some future version of you, not when you get right, not when you get your act together, not, you know, when you stop doing that thing you can't stop doing, but like right now, 
And, and, and if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, like literally you see the cross as a payment for all the wrong things that you've done, you're gonna be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. And so instead of taking your life, lose your life. Say, God, here it is. I wanna end it all, but instead of ending it all, I'm just going to give it to you. What do you want to do with it? You mm. want me to move overseas and serve the poor or, or care for lepers and, and, and get a disease that could kill me on me? I'll do it. I'll do whatever you want. You want me to go fight a war? I'll fight a war. You want me to stay here and, and wage war in corporate America and share the gospel with a stranger? Like I'll, I'll do anything. Here's my life. Instead of me taking my life, you take my life. Mm. I'm, I'm at, at the end of my rope. You take it, and, and this is it, and then I'm, I'm done. I won't say anything else. I found myself really alone one day, and it wasn't at the low. It was at a high. I had, I had just written a book. I had just built a house. My house had this booth that I had designed that I was so excited about in the kitchen. I was sitting at that booth, and I felt so alone, and I was just like, God, do you even see me? Like I'm, I'm here. I'm doing your work. Do you even see me? And, and I remembered Tommy Nelson talking about his depression and just, just feeling so alone. He was walking through his garden and he saw a dead sparrow. And he remembered in Matthew chapter 10 that God says, a sparrow doesn't hit the ground apart from my will. And, and two sparrows are sold for a penny. Do not, I not love you so much more than them? And I just thought, oh, okay, he loves me like a sparrow. And my phone rang and I'm telling you the truth. My phone rang. And it was a friend from college I hadn't talked to in, you know, over a year. And I said, hello? And, and he's like, what's up, P? And I was like, what are you doing? He said, you're not going to believe it, man. And I was like, no, what are you doing? And he goes, man, I found these sparrows in my mailbox. I'm on my way to some bird sanctuary to make sure they live. Wow. I'm dead serious. <laughs> I'm still sitting at that booth. And, and God, in, in his kind way, just said, you're not alone. I see you. I'm going to be with you soon. Hang on. Would you hold on? Stay in there. Stay in the fight. I got work for you to do. And, I, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I get to be with you here tonight. And I'm so glad that I get to be with these friends. Yeah. So good. Thank you for saying that. I... I, I want to wrap this up and then David, you can land the plane, I, uh, I think, okay, I think we need to talk about social media just to kind of wrap it up because I think that a lot of us, just like we don't know what to do with anxiety, we don't know what to do with, you, we know, all know social media causes anxiety, causes comparison, causes all these issues. Social media, it's Satan's using this, Satan's using this. And actually, JP, I heard you say this at a luncheon not so long ago. You said we're all aware of it, but no one's doing anything about it. Yeah. And I've thought about that multiple times since you said that. And I think, I know that I wanna hear more about the tension y'all are in because if I had to guess, a lot of these people are following you three on social media and they're doing it because they wanna learn from you. They wanna learn more about these things. They want to, um, they wanna be fed spiritually. They wanna look up to leadership and all these different things. There's good intent and social media can be a powerful weapon. We know that, but all three of you are on it, I'm on it. Most people like the same, if you said who's on social media, but the same amount of people would raise their hands um, that also say they struggle with anxiety. 
And so you were kind of waging that war, JP, of saying like, we all know it's this, but we're all still posting and we're all still doing it and no one's doing anything about it. How should we think about social media and the power that the enemy is using it for and then how also though, like God is using it and like looking forward, how would you lead us and how we should interact with it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, fast, fast from it regularly. And so I just saw, you know, today I take a, um, off an hour a day, a day a week, a week a month. Mike Kelsey says that a, a lot. And I, I think that's a really good practice. When, when you do that 30 minutes of prayer, make sure your phone's in the other room. When you go to your profile to see how many followers you have, just know that that's harmful to you, most likely. I mean, maybe you're stronger than me, but I'll just speak firsthand, it's harmful to me. To, to begin to count followers. Uh, my, my brain is constantly optimizing to know that if I post like this, I get more likes and you know that kind of thing. And, and so I have to really watch that um, because I don't wanna find identity in those things. Uh, if it's a, fast from it for, for seasons and maybe do away with it altogether, like nobody's going to get to heaven and be mad that they had to live life without Instagram. Or, or, or TikTok, right? I mean, you, you see the latest dance or whatever it is. Like, you're gonna be okay without the trends. And, um, and so, I mean, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. It's, it's I, I don't have any better advice or, or counsel than that. I, I can't improve on that. It's just, is fast from it and do away with it altogether if you need to. Yeah. Hebrews 12 says, run the race that is set before you, yeah. throwing off the burden and the sin. I think the more that you have a race and you know what your vision is, then your days are busy and your days are full. And the less we think about ourselves and the less we think about what's wrong in the world and the more we're about the work right in front of us. You know, I mean, scripture says that live a quiet life, work with your hands. (laughs) I think that's so interesting. And I think we need to be okay and content doing hard work and doing good work. Many of you have jobs where you can browse the internet during the day in your job. Don't. Don't. Do the work that's in front of you. Love the people that are in front of you. Take care of your little sphere, your little circle, and you just have less time for it. You just start, you don't have as much time to be on it. Live the life that God intends you to live. I mean, what what she's saying, we focus on the church so much on the don'ts. Don't, 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 don't. No, just get busy doing the things that God has for you to do. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. And it literally says, walk in the works, like poetry. Walk in the poem that that God has written before you were ever born. He's written for you to walk in. And as you do that, you, you know, who has time for a TikTok? Some of you need to walk out of here and you need to life plan. Some of you, the reason you're so anxious is you do not even know what you're doing. Your relationships are out of order. You do not eat well. You do not work out. You do not have any schedule to your life. You have chaos everywhere. You need to go out and really practically lay out like, hey, I'm gonna wake up at this time. I'm gonna spend time with God. I'm gonna work out. I'm gonna eat a little bit better. I'm not gonna drink so much at night or, or at all. Like you need to make choices and then hold each other accountable because those small things are like medicine. They really are, and God knew it. And so this orderly life that he calls us to is actually a way of prospering. And so it's fun. I, I, I think it's fun to life plan. And, and I, I like what you're saying. And canoe. Canoe yeah. Yeah. life plan. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing is, I, I agree with what you're saying and it got me excited because I think we so often go, don't feel that. Don't think that. Mm-hmm. Don't fear. 
And it's just not helpful. And I think what we need to do is get busy with this book and what he's called us to do in loving our people. And as we do, notice the burden and the sin in our life and throw it off, but don't let it consume us and distract us from what we're supposed to be doing. On, on noted, related to all of those things, social media is not a bad thing or, or a good thing. It's, it's, it's a thing. Like the Apostle Paul, I think, would have loved social media. Yeah. I mean, it, it, with a yeah. click of a button, you can share the gospel with millions of people. I mean, yeah. how dope would that have been? Jenny have Paul's can. Twitter I, account. I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with 10,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, I think what both of them pointed to is doing an audit of asking, hey, what is happening and auditing my feelings, my emotions, my thoughts, my take. What does it mean to take every thought captive? It means that just like when you go to the airport and you have a bag and you're going through security and the guy looks at it and he's like, man, you got a pocket knife in here, bro. We got to take this away or you're going to jail. He's going through and making sure the wrong things are not in that. And I think as it relates to our thoughts, anytime I'm feeling like auditing, man, I get on there and I feel depressed. I get on there when I'm distracted because I don't have a plan. And so I just kind of gravitationally drift to that and auditing the feelings and thoughts that I'm having and how is it contributing? Auditing when I find myself going, hey man, how many people are following me? Or auditing when I find myself going, oh man, I'm so discouraged because I see how amazing their life is and how disappointing I am, how disappointed I am that I, she just got engaged and I'm always the bridesmaid, never the bride and auditing those thoughts. <laughs> and I think that's a lost art. I don't think that people do. And I certainly, candidly, I'm not always great at that and I have to do that to the Lord and say, Here's what I'm feeling, God. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what is going on in my heart and going to God honestly and sharing the things that I'm feeling. It's good. A theme I've just heard throughout tonight is let people in and be honest. You just have to be honest with yourself and quit playing the game and gotta be honest, gotta start being honest. So could y'all help me thank our friends, JP, Jenny, David. I actually went, JP, would you mind uh, praying for us? I'd and then, to. David, you could talk to us a little bit. I'd love bit. to. Father, we just need your help. <laughs> There's, the enemy's lying to us, and he's telling us that we can't tell anybody that we're struggling. And so would you stir in us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, a courage to be known, uh, to be vulnerable? Um, even tonight, like just there, there's someone I, I know that is just like, I can't do that. And I pray that they would turn to the person to the right or the left and find a safe place and that that person would have the courage to put their arm around them and stay with them until they're helped, until they get the aid that they need. And so Lord, if there's anybody in this place watching online, listening later, right now, driving in their car, wherever they're at, Father, would you remind them that you love them in the same ways that you have me so many times? Would you remind them that you love them, that you have a plan and a purpose for their life that is worthwhile? Would you even give them a vision for it? And would you surround them with people who know them and love you and love them and know you and would offer them godly accountability? Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that you purchased a glorious inheritance for us in eternity and that you're, you're keeping it safe and that you sealed us by your Holy Spirit and that in this world, as we have trouble, you are preserving us. 
And so as our bodies are wasting away, like jars of clay, as they're being broken, Lord, I pray that you would preserve us, that you would strengthen us. And in the midst of temptation, that you would strengthen us. And that you would lead us according to your will. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This, I, uh, I shared earlier that I would share from Mark chapter 4. And, um, and I'll say this the series on anxiety and mental health and punctuate everything that we've just gone through the last four weeks. My son, when he was three and four, and even sometimes today, at five, he'll come into our room late at night, three in the morning, and he'll walk in and he'll come over to my bed and he'll wake me up and he'll say, Dad, Dad, there's monsters underneath my bed. And I always find myself going, uh, you know, waking up and seeing, it looks like children of the corn, this silhouette of somebody walking at me, just, Dad, ah! And if I'm honest, there's part of me that, that, that kind of loves that he does that. And here's why. It's not because I like being woken up at three in the morning. It's because when he does that, it, it communicates something. It communicates that he believes that if I have a problem, I can go to my dad and that he can do something about it. Whatever monsters are there, I can go. And my dad is strong enough to handle it. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is on this boat and the disciples are out in the middle of this lake. It's late at night and they're rowing across. It says that Jesus was asleep in the middle of the boat on a cushion. And a great storm hit all around him. And the disciples began to panic. And these were fishermen for a living. They'd seen storms. They were used to storms. But the word used, it was, it was like an earthquake on the water. I mean, it'd be the equivalent of, of pilots that, man, they fly through turbulence and they're okay. But when the pilots begin to freak out about the turbulence, that's essentially what happens. And they go to Jesus and they wake him up. And Jesus asks a really interesting question. The disciples say, Lord, don't you care that we're, we're perishing? We're going to die. And Jesus gets up from that cushion and he walks and he says, be still. And the water turns to glass. And then he asks what I think is so profound. He says, why are you so afraid? And why is that profound? Think about what he said. I mean, the disciples are going, what, what do you mean, why are we afraid? We were about to die. The boat was going to turn over. What do you mean, why are we afraid? This is the plane is going down in midair, and we're all freaking out. And you're like, hey, guys, what's going on? Why are you so afraid? What do you mean, why are we afraid? Do you not have any faith? Don't you know who's with you? The God, he wants us to walk through this life with the type of relationship that whatever I face, my God is strong enough to calm the storms, like a father is strong enough to face the monsters under the bed. He is with me, and he's invited me to bring all of those things to me because he's strong enough to deal with them, and he cares for me, and he cares for you. And I hope you leave with an understanding that is who your God is. The wind and the waves obey him. 
He is near. He's nearer to you than the breath that you breathe. And your God is strong, and he is for you. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you're not gonna experience the peace we talked about in this series because you don't know the Prince of Peace. You don't know the one who gave his life so that you would spend eternity with God for forever. Not by how good you are, but by receiving him as the payment for your sin. Tonight is your night. And God, in a moment of faith, just saying, God, I believe that, I receive that, I accept that. Your eternity will never be the same. Your ability to experience peace in this life will actually be possible. And tonight, the God who is there, who 2,000 years ago gave his life for you, is inviting you into that. For those of us who do know him, we're going to worship one last time in song. And Father, we thank you that you have made a way through the cross by what you did in our place for us to have peace in this life and eternity forever. Thank you for Jenny and JP and JD and just a chance to talk about ways that you invite us to peace. Would you allow us to live in that freedom? We worship you now in song. Amen.